Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere, every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified together in a region and collaborating around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're spending some time on the initiative of disciple-making strategies. And more specifically, we're gonna learn more about Mission Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and every inner city, which is a disciple-making initiative to saturate every inner city with diverse, hope-filled churches. Today, I'm excited for you guys to hear from Myron Pierce, who is the founder and leader of Mission Church and every inner city, as well as the side hustle pastor. Myron is married to Kristen, and he lives in the heart of North Omaha with their three sons and one daughter. He is a great pastor. He's a church planner. He's an author and he's an entrepreneur. So Myron, I am so glad to have you with us today. I'm, I can't wait for people to hear your story, man. Yeah, man, I, it's an honor just to, just to get to hang out with you, man. Looking forward to our time. Yeah, well, would you please start by just sharing a little bit of the story of how God got a hold of your life and redirected you to the work that you're doing today? Yeah, man, quite frankly, I grew up in the hood. Uh, both my parents were, were on and off drugs. Dad was never around because he was in and out the penitentiary. And so really the streets raised me. So when the streets weren't raising me, I, my grandmama was raising me. Well, obviously that led me really to a life of crime, drugs and, and everything under the sun. And so by the time I was 15, I was facing my first prison sentence, 100 years in the penitentiary. The judge had grace on me and uh, only gave me a two to three year sentence. So I did my time, got out. I was probably out for about five months, and I was right back, man, facing double the amount of time. So along the way, I hit rock bottom that night, that second major time I got arrested, and I uh, just made a few phone calls. After that, I fell on my knees and said, God, I'm destroying my life, but if you change me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Didn't grow up a church kid, grew up a street kid, uh, but the exposure I had to church was limited to the caskets. Uh, from funerals and uh, sometimes maybe a CNE type of type of you know, commitment. But out of that, man, I met Jesus. And uh, months after that, man, I was sentenced to 14 to 30 years in the penitentiary, um, plus the, the sentence I wasn't done with. So I'm leaving the courtroom with a 16 to 30 year sentence. And yet oftentimes I would hear the Holy Spirit say that day and many more times, you're going to be a church planter. You're going to be a pastor sending you back to your neighborhood to give hope. And that was the theme the Holy Spirit really um, put on my heart. And so I went to prison with a promise from God, 16 to 33 years in prison. And that's where God taught me faith. That's where God taught me biblical faith, how to believe him when the facts were were right there. And so God, God taught me a lot about that. But seven months after I got sentenced, I'm on this kind of seven-year, seven-month journey of faith. I get a, a letter from the state of Nebraska um, telling me that they had changed the law. And, and the law change had impacted my sentencing structure, which opened up the door for me to get out years before I was supposed to get out. So I wasn't supposed to get out until 2019. I got out in 2008. So God clearly opened up the door, fast forward, ended up going to, to Bible college, got a major in biblical studies and business. Through that, I was serving at a local ministry, ended up meeting a young lady who uh, was roommates with her friend and said, hey, I, there's this guy I think you should check out. So we ended up meeting. She ended up taking me back to the work release center. I was still a year away from actually getting out. Um, and we started a date. Ended up getting married. And, uh, and in that season of, of getting out the penitentiary, I met a guy named Ron Dosler who invested in me, white dude from Iowa, church planter, um, and was doing work in North Omaha, had a nonprofit. And uh, weeks later, he said, hey, I want you on my staff. So I got out August 2008. 
Um, three months from there, we planted our first church in the same neighborhood I was a gangbanger in. <laughs> and the rest of this story is a story just filled with church planting in different areas, making disciples, mobilizing the church, multiplying churches, and uh, to where I'm here today leading a, a new church. Uh, we'll be five in, in uh, this this coming September. Uh, Mission Church, man. And so, yeah, so it's been quite the journey. The whole deal with Mission Church is simply, man, we want to unleash unprecedented hope in every inner city around the world. And we want to first start in North Omaha. So that's been our driving agenda. (laughs) Oh, man, that's so amazing. Gosh, I I love your story because I just it's so like God to to break into the the most unlikely situations or what feels like an impossible circumstance and and show himself off, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I man, I I think I think the whole Bible can be summed up as a story for the marginalized. Mm. From from the Exodus all the way down to the woman at the well in John 4. Oh man. Yep. You know, <laughs> yep, I love so it. I am humbled by God's grace, his mercy um, on, on me and my family and those that, that lead with me. Mm, mm. Man, that's incredible. Thank you. So yeah. you've had a, you've had some key shaping influences in your life. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about because, you know, as you know, like disciple making it's not a program. It's not a curriculum. It's like people. It's real people influencing right. real people. And I know you've definitely had some people that have influenced you. Who are some of those or situations, you know, people and situations that have influenced your life? Yeah, a, a lot of stories that sometimes don't get told by me. I, I need to do a better job. I, I talk a lot about the influences that have shaped me when I got out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I need to go back to start talking about the influences that helped me in prison, that people, you'll you'll never hear their name. Um, But there was a gentleman by the name of Clint McNeil. Clint's doing life plus 60 in prison. He's probably in his 70s now. But Clint would sit down with me every day and we would read John 14, (laughs) you know, and, and he would do life with me and he would say, Myron, I'm never getting out of here. This is my mission field. How are you going to ensure that you never return back to this mission field except through the front doors? Mm. And he'd take me to John chapter 14. And he did life with me so much to the point that, you know, we talk about Dave Ferguson, his book on Hero Maker. Clint Mm. did everything that he could to to put me first. He was like the custom model to Tyson type. He's like I call I call him Dave calls him uh, Hero Maker. I call him Corner Man. All right, people in your corner. And Clinton was in my corner and he taught me the simplicity of relationship, the importance of disciple making. Um, and 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 he he really was the apostle <laughs> of 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 our little Lincoln Correctional uh campus. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's another, church planting right inside yeah, there. <laughs> another guy, his name's uh Tommy, is an elder in an old mainline church. Um, from Omaha, uh, actually from Lincoln, and he would come over and and he would uh, you know do chapels and he'd preach with such passion, man. He'd preach with such passion, and so for me, what what he did for me was gave me a picture of authenticity, gave me a picture of what commitment looks like, gave me a picture of of what it means to really do life with people. Uh, there's another guy named Art Lindsay. Uh, Art Lindsay's an author. He worked a lot with Nebraska, with Nebraska football, and and uh, he just does these like biographies of of people's stories. And and this one statement Art Lindsay made, one statement that has shaped me for the rest of my life. He said, "Man, this is the best church I've ever been a part of." Talking about our little prison church. Mm. And so you got to understand, like I'm I'm in prison, and I'm watching. Like televangelists, I'm getting all my Bible teachers and, uh, and listening on the radio. And, and from all intents and purposes, what I see on TV is the best church. 
But then he comes to his little church with killers, pimps, hustlers, gangbangers. <laughs> and he says, this is the best church I've ever been a part of. <laughs> and it was not until I got out that I attended a local church on one of my, actually, before I got out on a, we have these uh, passes at the work release center. You take four hour passes or take religious passes. So I'd take these religious passes and I would go to like to these different churches. And the first church I went in, I walked in and I said, where's the Holy Spirit? Like I didn't, I didn't have like, you got to understand, like the only person apart from our little community in prison was really the Holy Spirit. He he just, yeah. you know, I was like, I walked in, I'm like, where is he? Like, I know he's supposed to be here. Like he's, they say he's going to be here at this time, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden what Art said years ago, mm. when he said, this is the best church I've ever been a part of. And that has shaped me. There's another well-known guy that you would know, uh, our audience would know as well, um, a man by the name of Rick Warren. And I've never met Rick Warren and uh, hope someday to meet him, but I was reading The Purpose Driven Life. And in those first seven months of when I first went to prison, as I'm reading that book, somewhere around like, I don't know, like day 40 or something like I'm reading and it just hit me. Your purpose is bigger than your prison. Mm. That, 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 like I'm reading the purpose wow. of your life. And I get, yeah, your purpose is bigger than your prison. And it was like, it, it was, it was like so shaping for me when it comes mm. to matters of faith. Um, because like when you go into an institution, it's easy to become institutionalized. How does that happen? It happens when they give you a number. My number was Myron Pierce 55089. And so when, when they ever, anytime they refer to you, it's, it's according to a number which dehumanizes you. Everybody wears the same thing. So that means it's uniformity, right? So all these things that are maybe subtly um, misunderstood or overlooked, right? So when I hear your pur- your purpose is bigger than your prison, it, it, it like shackled me to a different identity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those are a few people that have really shaped me, man. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, part of what I love about what you just shared, and I think for anyone listening, is I think we can tend to think my present situation is the reason why I'm limited to be a disciple making disciple or could never be a part of a movement of God in the place I'm in. And it's like, what I love about what you're sharing is like, there is no limitation to what God can do and there's no space in which he can't be at work. And I love the fact that you highlighted some of these men that were just, you know, I mean, obviously people know Rick Warren, but the other ones they don't know. And yet God powerfully moved through those men to give you a different version of reality. So, so beautiful, man. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Well, tell us more about Mission Church and uh, really the heart of it and what what shapes who you guys are as a church. Yeah, we started this work um, almost five years ago and, you know, actually less than a minute or two from my, my, my birthplace. And, uh, you know, when you when you've lived in the margins and you've grown up in poverty, when you've experienced um, all manner of evil and dysfunction, then it it tarnishes your soul. Hmm. Right. It, it, it's it's traumatic. And when 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 people deal with trauma like we have, then it, it leaves us empty and hopeless. That's why good news for every inner city is hope. Mm-hmm. So we said, what would it look like if we saturated, if we unleashed this kind of hope um, in this community and saw disciples made healthy, mobilized for the mission, multiplying our efforts? Like what will happen if 
if that was central to who we are to unleash this kind of hope. Mm. And so a few of us got together and said, well, it would look like, you know, communities being engaged. Right? Mm. It, would, it would look like um, the next generation having an opportunity to experience true biblical hope. It would look mm. like men and women who are transitioning out of being behind the walls into a safe place where they can be known, understood, heal and become disciple makers themselves. It, it would look like a community that that has suffered, but but will come out on top as a flourishing community because ownership became central again, right? And so it was with that heart we said, "Let's go for it, man." And so as as a group of folk, we we started engaging our community, and and here we are today, man. Like God has done incredible, incredible things um, in those areas, but things that that we find. Um, most most important to tell is the success around the people that we've mobilized, right? And I think Dave said it best um, when he said, "Like my fruit grows on grows best on other people's trees." I think he got that from Bob Buford. And so I've always said, like, Mission Church is an airport. Where like you don't come to an airport; it's not a hotel, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, yep. It's an airport and it's an airport for for the dreams of, of God's people to take off. And that's what we really are. So, yeah, we focus on engaging our community. Yes, we focus on the next generation. Yes, we focus on justice issues. Yes, we focus on entrepreneurship. But our bread and butter is is training up new missionaries, mm. training up new missionaries who who can um, impact their or cost. Their, their their section of 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 our inner city in such a way that people get reached, disciples get made, spiritual families emerge into into new expressions of the kingdom. That's great, man. How, in light of that, how do you define a disciple in your context? It's a good question. So we say a disciple is a hope dealer. <laughs> And, and the reason why I think every church, every church leader, every missionary needs to come to to, to some collective definition where so that so that synergy happens and then thus the outcome being saturation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So for us, a, a, a disciple maker is a hope dealer, because when you look at through all throughout scripture and we, we had to look at this from a theological standpoint first, we say what as we look at the the the, the narrative of of humanity through the lens of the Bible, what what speaks to disciple making? What word really talks about the enhancement of humanity that's so reconciled back to God that it's healthy and flourishing? And so we saw hope overwhelmingly throughout the word of God. We saw it when when God sent sent um, Noah. We saw it when God sent Moses. We saw like this this future hope of a promised land, right? And then we said, okay, philosophically, like how how does that land with us? And is it contextual? And we say, you know what? Actually, it is because when we look at the symptoms of crime and drug abuse and uh, domestic violence, though, those are all symptoms of a deeper problem, which is hopelessness. And we all know that Jesus is the hope of the world, right? We like yeah. we know Paul says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you profess, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we said, okay, methodically, when we look at our methods, our methods have to match that idea mm-hmm. of disciple making, right? Mm-hmm. That we that we ought to, yes, have some initiatives that function as incubator, as an incubator for uh, the vision of God in our people and then see them launched. So every hope dealer, we say, um, needs to, to, in essence, understand the 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 idea of worship and community and impact, right? And so functionally, then, um, every dis- every hope dealer has to live with the level of hope themselves, which is why when we when we are doing life with people, the common question is, hey, how'd you deal hope this last week? Mm. Right? Like, how, like, how did you do that? And it, it then becomes a built-in accountability structure and a metric for how we measure whether or not we're good at what God's called us to do, right? So we talk about hope, then all, the whole idea of head cognitively, like how do you understand the scriptures, right? And we and we 
in, in relationship, we can collectively come to the, ap- the the interpretation and application of God's word in in, in the heart within commu- within a community, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes um, that the cognitive is thrown out for the spirit for the more spontaneous spiritual, and, and, and sometimes that's truncated. And we think that Paul was clear when he says, "Always be ready to give a reason, not not only for the hope that you." profess, but also that all in scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. Right. And so we want to be able to help people understand um, practically um, from a cognitive point of view, the, the word of God. But then thirdly, functionally, we say, hey, holding people accountable to what the spirit of God is saying is a priority for us. Mm-hmm. That deals with the heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Then we say, all right, well, from a if hope, head and heart. All right, it is hope, head, hope, head, heart. I always get them mixed up. Um, and then we talk about like help, um, like how mm. or, or hands rather. What does God mm-hmm. ask you to do? And 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 this happens in relationship. I was just meeting with one of my guys over the phone yesterday, and I and he's talking about a specific situation, and he's and and I said, you know what? Like the scripture says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, lib- liberally. And, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, um, then he's saying something. What is he asking you? Um, what is he saying? But then lastly, like, what is he asking you to do? And we build in obedience-based disciple-making, not in the context of a just an intentional rhythm of meeting, but like in the context of relationship and life, right? Yeah. Then we hold him accountable or functionally to, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? What are you going through that that you need support in? And that really deals with help. So so a, a disciple functions in those five areas, which mm-hmm. then becomes a metric for growth and a pathway for new apprentices, um, new dis- new people to be made into disciples. Oh, that's great, man. Say those again. There's five there, right? You said. Yeah. So hope. Hope. Head. Heart. Hands help. That's great, man. I love yeah. it. I love the the hope emphasis too, because like you even said, the whole narrative of the Bible, that's where it goes. I mean, it starts even in Genesis three, where God promises the man yeah. and the woman that the serpent's head is going to get crushed, you know, that's and right. and all of us are longing for this future reality where all things will be made new. And so man, I I love the fact that the very heart of your disciple make or your disciple maker definition is actually biblical theology i mean there's a yeah. a narrative you're, you're part of a story you know and i yeah. i love that part of how you how you've done that in your own context can you um share with us some of the ways in which this really works out really practically how do you guys and i i heard it already it's highly relational and that's the thing i as I've interacted with you, like I've continued to hear that over and over and over again, which is one of the most refreshing things yeah. about what you guys are doing. But give me, give us a little bit of flesh on that. What does that start to look like in your context? Yeah, so one of the practicals are metrics. Hmm. What 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 do we measure? Typically, we in Christianity we we've measured how many people have come in, how much money we got, how successful are our programs, how many volunteers do we have to fill our funnel, right? Um, but for us, it's like how many how many the the, the number one, the five things I just told you actually, yeah, th- those are those are actually what we measure. But then a second practical is is our glossary. Hmm. We spent a couple years simplifying our glossary based on the new metaphor that we subscribe to. I think the church needs a new metaphor or at least needs to return to an old metaphor. Mm-hmm. Right. So customarily we've treated church and disciple making from a business metaphor. We all know um, in the, in the, in the, in futures um, thinking um, the, you know, in futures thinking, we know that, the metaphor you use is the magnet that pulls you in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So if our, if our, if our metaphor has been how to break 200, which comes from a business metaphor. That's right. Yep. If our metaphor, we subscribe to it based on an organizational chart. If we have an organizational chart in our church, we've subscribed to a business model. 
I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm saying the outcome of whatever metaphor we use will dictate how we shape and see people become fully formed disciples. Disciples. Absolutely. Because the metaphor is, is ultimately a way to, to carry a story. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and so hence we see Jesus in Luke telling his, his, his cadre of leaders, little children, he calls them little children. Hmm. It's crazy because he's only 30 something. So he was technically a millennial. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, So, so our, our metaphors, practically, we have to, um, to, to do an exhaustive analysis of the metaphors we've subscribed to and the outcomes it has given us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the glossary then becomes advantageous because it's informed by the new metaphor. So our metaphor is a family tree, right? So everything we do then is influenced by that. So our, our, our weekly gatherings then are no longer worship services. Like they didn't come to be served yeah. in that capacity. Like, like they didn't, like they technically are not supposed to come to consume. We're supposed to come to, to co-create and collaborate and 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 encourage one another right you yes. know and so we said well we have to get rid of rows mm. we we have to we like we have to have tables and we have to have snacks on them and water and coffee right there right huh. like, like we have to and and mm. and so with that we said well we we didn't come to worship god like we're like we came to worship but we didn't come to sing worship songs like we came to express our worship. Mm. So, 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 so now it's not that it's time to worship. No, it's time to sing and allow our expression to God to, to be filled with worship. I know that's subtle, but, but it, but it's, is monumental because it's helping to shape our people. Yeah. Right. It, it, we're not, I'm not getting up preaching. Like I'm, I'm not come to, I'm not coming to give a talk or like, or, or, or to communicate, I, it's informed. Like I don't do, I I could care less about be, being a great speaker in that context, right? I care more about being a brother in Christ, which I've I've dro- I dropped my title. You know, like when people say, "Hey, it's good to meet you, Pastor Myron." My name is Myron. My my government name is Myron. My mama gave me my name Myron, right? And, and like even from a biblical standpoint, I wouldn't even say that I'm that that I'm. I'm a pastor. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So I'm actually lying to the people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and so I'll give a talk (laughs) and 50 percent of the time I'm not the one talking or sharing. It's it's broken up with with other leaders on our team. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then and then we have a time where we where we have we dialogue about the the not not just the message but the text that we're reading which now we're we're just we're, we've been in luke since january our trajectory is when jesus come back you know what i mean like <laughs> <laughs> but, but i, I could go on and on but like um so there's there's sharing and we're, we're taking that the the function of of our disciple making method and we we facilitate questions right there in circles right and it's prompting accountability for hey, like hey, how many of y'all have friends and family that you you're in it, you've influenced them? A lot of everybody raise a hand. Say hey, um, what do you think about making a commitment to sitting down with them and, and getting to God's word with them? Is this easy? Because what we do, we 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 had a bunch of bookmarks printed up with our five questions on it, and then as a supplement, we have a Hope Dealer study journal. Where, where Ralph Moore and I, he, he wrote the forward. I did a small little introduction. And then we put the whole hope method in there with journal, with a way to journal. Right. Um, so that we're kind of re, you know, reaffirming uh, their role as as hope dealers. So those are a few ways that we've mm. we've I think the, the principle in all of this is what is our theology of disciple making? Is it consistent with the New Testament? Right. Is it does our philosophy meet measure up to the context we're ministering to people in and how how does that inform our methods? 
right? And then what metaphor are we subscribing to that's ultimately shaping the story of the church God has entrusted us to serve, right? I think that's the big idea. You just threw down a whole bunch of really important questions for any leader to be asking. I'm serious, man. So good. Like, so many don't stop and ask, what is the biblical theology of a disciple? What What is the New Testament pattern of being a church and making disciples? What primary metaphors are we using to, to, to tell the story? I mean, you just, you just laid out a whole bunch of stuff that if people just stopped and said, Hey, does this line up with the story and narrative of the Bible? Does mm-hmm. this look like what I see when I read the New Testament? What is the primary metaphor? I mean, the pri- you nailed it. The primary metaphor in the New Testament, especially once you get into the Pauline epistles, is family. I mean, that yeah. is the, the dominant understanding of what it really means to, to live for, as God's people in the world. And then... I, I want to highlight this because you said it, but I want people to hear this. Like even how you defined what it looks like to gather together, what you're trying to accomplish when you're doing it, how you order everything so that it actually leans into the very things you just said uh, is profound. And then even saying worship isn't a song, we bring our worship into a song. Mm-hmm. And I, I know enough about what you're doing is that you're trying to help your people see that that's all of life. When we right. go to work, we're, we're engaged. Bring, hopefully, we're doing that as an act of worship to God. Yeah. Uh, and so, man, I just so, well, you know, I just want to say thank you. It's so helpful yeah. for you to have said the things you just did because I think it's going to create a lot of good questions for people. Well, well, in what you said, that last line you said, because we've subscribed to, again, I'm not demonizing because I'm a I'm an entrepreneur, right? And and there there's a space for that, but what that metaphor does is it has impacted the 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 trainings and networks and even seminaries in our culture yeah so most church planters come out of some type of training network school thinking event planning yeah. versus church plan we like we are forming event glorified event planners Absolutely. And 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 I think a shift in confronting the metaphors we use over time can help really move the ball forward in disciple making. Mm-hmm. Mm. So good. Man, it's good stuff. Um, I, I, I know you have some stories. I'd love to hear at least one story of someone in your context who's really becoming a hope dealer, uh, living it out and. Yeah, I mean, I have, we could probably man, do a hundred of them, but just <laughs> I have a tim- I have a tim- I have a Timothy right now, hmm. and uh, we met, man, maybe f- five, six, seven years ago, around there. And uh, this guy is like amazing, man. And you know, he lost his mom. His mom was murdered. He, you know, hmm. he grew up in gangs. Uh, was a part of a few different faith based programs that kind of kept him from dying, right? So our lives intersected and I just took a liking to this kid, man. And one thing led to another. I started discipling this guy, doing life with him, man, just going bowling. I mean, just kicking it, man, like just kicking it, big kicking it, you know. And, um, you know, I was, you know, we were talking one day and he's like, man, I really want to quit my job, man. I want to start a business like you. And I said, well, how bad do you want it? He's like, really bad. I said, well, quit. It's like, no, but I got this income coming in. I said, well, don't come talk to me until you're ready. So we quit meeting for a year. <laughs> I, I, I was basically like, stop wasting my time, bro. So so for a whole year. And then and then he came back in crisis. A couple of things happened to him. He came back real broken. And, and uh, we started up again, just doing life, meeting and everything. And God did some cool things through that because he really became my son in the faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm learning about disciple making. It's like it's parenting. It's it's seeing people as as your kids. Right. Yeah. Um, because that was the first institution was family. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and so through this, he now owns his own company. Um, he's raising his kids. He's making disciples. He's the co-founder with me of 
um, on the pond apparel. Um, and he's the co-founder with me of our, our new on the pond summit that we're launching August 20th. And, and he's blossoming. Don't mean that dude ain't got no issues. Don't mean that he not struggling, but it just means that he know he knows he's a hope dealer Mm -hmm. and he knows he's adding value. And I, I see him doing it now with another guy. And it's just like, and it's just one-to-one, bro. It's just, just one-to-one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that, that's really like, it's just gold, man. It's gold. I mean, I can go story after story, bro. Just, I know you could, yeah. Well, it's just refreshing because I think a lot of times when, and this is not to shame any pastor or leader uh, that's listening, but I think a lot of times people can say, we're committed to disciple making. I'm trying to lead disciple making initiatives, but they have no stories of any people that are actually in their life that they're pouring into. And it it really comes back to that. It's like, what you're going to do is going to be reproduced in, in the many. And if you don't do it as a person to another person, it's hard to actually be an example to anybody else that they can right. actually see what it looks like. And I, I love it. Cause I think I've actually met him. I think you've been, he might've traveled with you. A few yeah, times. He was with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a sweet, sweet guy, man. Just beautiful, man. It's such a beautiful picture. So what, you know, yeah. I know it's not all easy. Uh, what are some of the challenges you guys are facing in your context around disciple making? Yeah, I think one of the one of the things is 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 transientness, right? Mm. So I I, yeah. I even grew up that way. You're not in, you're not in a, a home for too long. Maybe 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 a year, right? And then you go to the mm-hmm. next, get the you sign the next lease, right? And um, I think unprocessed trauma that dates all the way back to the plantation. Yeah, right. The yeah. way that we discipline our kids. Right. I mean, I mean, it is it's real, like obviously drug abuse and and things like that. And so working through trauma has probably been one of the biggest, Mm -hmm. biggest things that that we've we you know, that we've had to to encounter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a lot of the leaders that we raise up or missionaries we raise up, you know, they may have this big dream from God to do something and and oftentimes are met with opposition. because of finances, right? And a lot of our guys have X's on their bag. They refer we're we're referred to as felons. Mm-hmm. Our credit scores are being checked. You know, you know, they're low because maybe our parents used our credit. I mean, all kind of craziness that yeah, you know, um, one one wouldn't automatically think could be as 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 impactful as as that. You know, yeah. How are you addressing some of those challenges? I mean, you named out a few. Like, there's the the financial reality is a real challenge and i know you've done some really creative and are doing some really creative stuff to address that problem in your context as well as and then you named i think you named two big ones there's a few other other ones there but the trauma piece as well so how about the first one how are you how are you addressing some of that i know you are um helping people that probably wouldn't be able to to financially provide or support the work that they're doing. I know you're, you've created some really creative pathways for that. What are some of those things you're doing to help them? Yeah. The very first thing we did was we launched our 16 week entrepreneurship incubator. And that's, mm-hmm. that's been going, I think for like two and a half years now. Um, so on paper, we've, we've trained up and released 35 new entrepreneurs and businesses on top of a plethora of, of coachings, of, of just coaching people we've coached in our communities, on top of webinars, workshops uh, that we've done to kind of help accelerate that. Hmm. The other thing we've done is we've purchased a, a, a property, commercialized it, and now it's co-working space for new businesses. Uh, just today, uh, we closed on another space that's going to provide again, that entrepreneurial ecosystem by just providing um, space, right? Uh, business coaching has been huge as well. So we uh, we went and got certified with Donald Miller, Business Made Simple. Um, and now we're able to really provide some coaching um, that's really just helpful, right? From a trauma, from a trauma perspective, I think like 50% of our leadership team have been trained in um, trauma-informed care. Uh, we have therapists who are in our church. Many have, one young lady graduated from our incubator 
and she's working with trauma with kids in our community who's in trauma. We've also turned our our main church building into a, a really a center for 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 activities. So we have therapists in there, um, counselors, um, schools. Like we're just maximizing, right? And so it's kind of interwoven. Entrepreneurship and, and healing is kind of interwoven through the people wow. that are in our ecosystem, right? We also work with a local. Uh, counseling firm um, as well, you know, and so we we yeah we we've kind of just said let's let's try to make this as cultural as possible. Let's create an, as as many pathways as we can towards towards healing, and then let God just do the rest. Mm. I love it. There's uh, there's actually five. Like I at the beginning, I identified five things that we see the Apostle Paul in Acts 13 and 14 repeating. He's got like this cycle that he brings into every city where he goes into a city, preaches the gospel and makes many disciples. You've got disciple making strategies. Uh, He, he goes back and he strengthens the people in the previous town. So you've got this health, this emotional, spiritual, holistic health that he's really working on. Um, he, he then warns them that they're going to, in order to actually do bring about the kingdom, they're going to suffer. It's going to be costly. But he, he the, when we think about kingdom, biblically, it's about doing good to the city um, and bringing in the reality of Christ's presence in everyday life and the way that we bless the city. Uh, and and then we start new churches, start new adventures. And he, he points new elders, more leaders, and then moves on and does it again. And when I listen to you, Myron, what I love about uh, everything you're doing is it's very holistic. You're thinking about how do we serve our city well? How do we make disciples effectively? How do we care for the emotional health, not just the spiritual health of people? And then how do we help them start new works? So, I mean, right. that's four of the five. And I know prayer is another one. We won't need to talk about that, but that's the fifth one for us. It's like Paul begins yeah. middle end. It's all prayer, prayer and fasting. But I I think there's a lot we can learn from you because there's, you're looking at a more holistic approach to disciple making than many do. And so first, I just want to commend you for that. And and then just thank you for the example you're providing. And I, I do want to ask this, this next question in light of that. What are you continuing to learn about disciple making and some of the holistic approaches? What are some of the fresh learnings that are right on the top of your head? It's a good question. I... Um... I think this, the thing I'm learning a lot about is true justice. You know, right when Amal Arbery, Breonna Tate, obviously George Floyd, all that stuff happened. And I began having different conversations with different leaders. And one of the things I had suggested was, hey, I, I like when you, if you look at your budget, even from a staff perspective, you have, maybe you have a pastor, you have a executive pastor, you have a <laughs> you have a youth pastor, a student pastor, all these different type of pastors and directors and ministry leaders. And I said, have you ever thought about having a justice pastor or a justice consultant on your squad? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, I I said that was because the best people to consult and coach the broader church are those who have learned who have had to learn how to live bicultural. They had to, they had to live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a white system, white majority system. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've had to live by the rules, right. We Mm -hmm. we've seen in every mountain of influence, like middle, middle, middle age, white men, right. Like we've just seen that and we've had to learn how to live in that world. Mm. Right. And and so we have these we have this advantage. We're able we're like we're able to cross culturally connect the dots. Right. And so if if, if it's one thing that I've learned more and more is my own value. Mm. Uh, And the value that God that that I'm that I'm supposed to add to the world and and leaning into my own identity unapologetically. And not living in the shadows of the next person who's the most influential in our country. I've come out of the shadows, I feel like, in this season of my life. Because I don't want to live my life living in somebody's shadow, right? 
And and so I think those are the the fresh things. I think the other thing is the the reality. If you live in an urban context or not, that ties and offerings like is just that's on the decline. And mm-hmm. embracing the fact that when I was born, like God didn't say, you know, hey, this is just the thing I've asked you to do. Like, I just want you to like just pre- be a preacher or something, right? But I've actually kicked that bucket and said and and decided to lean into what the gospels talk about, that there are those that he's given one talent, two, five, you know, that whole parable. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's we I, what I've learned is we have to embrace the capacity that God has given us and be unapologetic of of those who don't understand our capacity. And the revelation I got was a one talent person will always criticize a two talent person. Mm. Not because they're inherently evil, but because they don't understand that two talent person who has that capacity. Mm. And same mm. with a five talent. Yeah. And so I feel like in this season it's 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 imperative that leaders identify by using that parable the talent God has given them, capacity God has given them. And then ask the simple question, am I squandering it? Mm. And what am I doing to to really double up? Right? Mm. It's a kingdom double up. Um, And I think that kingdom double up, if you look at it, really has to do with reproducing and multiplying. Mm. Mm. Right? So those are a a couple of fresh things um, that I'm I'm, I'm pondering and thinking about more and more. Mm. Super helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, just be one being who God made you to be not shrinking back from that. And and you particularly to to the guy that you're describing, the white middle class, uh, you know, middle aged guy. Um, uh, you know, I don't have your perspective. I can't see what you see. I can't. I, I'm limited. And so I need you and I need others like you in my life. And we need you and others like you in the church are going to speak to things we we can't and uh and then second that capacity don't shrink back from who god made you to be and then there's a real humility in that i think we can say that's prideful it isn't it's prideful to try to to try and make everybody impressed or keep people from criticizing that's pride humility says i want to accept the true person god made me to be with both my strengths as well as my limitations so it's a good word man yeah man so you also lead uh, every inner city, um, and I just love for you to share a little bit about what that is. Uh, as as our, one of our our big idea, passion, desire is to see uh, every city saturated with the good news of Jesus. Uh, so we we share that in kind. You know, you and I both have the same heart to see gospel saturation take place, but you specifically are focused on this unique context. And so would you tell us a little bit more about every inner city? Yeah. So we could just take that, your, that last statement you made, right. About, about what you guys are doing and just add the word inner to it. Yeah. Right. That, that really is. So, so maybe over the last couple of years, my just connections with the broader church Mm. and, and, Super thankful for leaders like Ralph and um, Ralph Moore and Ty Wilson and Dave Ferguson and Bobby Harrington, who who have opened the door and invited me to the table. And consequently, mm-hmm. it's it's created pathways for new friends who are in urban context. And so really, it's a macro of what I'm doing micro. It's it's working with leaders, consultant leaders coaching leaders uh, who are in the urban context who need, um, you know, they need to understand who they are. They need coaching. They need training. They need support. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's what every inner city is about, multiplying leaders at a macro level to to saturate inner cities with hope. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thanks for doing that work. If you could encourage or exhort anybody in light of this, all that you shared, or maybe something you didn't share around disciple-making work, what advice or exhortation would you want them to to hear uh, at this moment? Get clear. I think we are so we we are in so many quote unquote. We're in these 
uncertain situations every day. We've been inundated with uncertainty from COVID to politics to racial problems in, the, in and outside the church. And it's left our people, it's left us as leaders at uncertain, really, uncertain, foggy. Mm. And the only antidote for uncertainty is clarity. All right. Get clear on who you are, clear on what it is, what disciple making is, what a disciple is. Get clear on ecclesia. Get clear on who God, because what God called you to two years ago could be drastically different and will look different because of what we've gone through as, as a, as a world. Mm. It's good. Clarity. Yeah. In the, in the midst of fogginess, in the midst of confusion, clarity about who you are, what a disciple is, what disciple making looks like, who the church is, and then how we engage it in this present moment. Really good, man. Yeah, bro. Hey, um, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving this time. And I, I want to give you the opportunity just to let listeners know if they wanted more information about your work and the things that you're committed to, where would they go? Yeah. Go to MyronPierce.com or you can email me at info at MyronPierce.com. Hit me up on the gram, Myron Pierce, Facebook or anything like that. So if you Google me, you will see my mugshot, though. I'm just telling y'all. <laughs> Get the whole story. Love it. Oh, man. Well, Myron, thank you so much. And if you're listening in and this is encouraging to you, uh, please stay tuned. There's more coming. And if you want more information about how you can get equipped in gospel saturation, go to gospel or go to saturatetheworld.com. And we want to just serve you, try to give you as many tools as we possibly can. And Myron, thank you so much. What you've shared is super helpful. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure being here, bro. 